0: Welcome into the Just Basketball Show for Monday, April twenty fourth. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. If you haven't already, please subscribe, give us five star rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, hit that notification bell, find us on TikTok. Instagram, Twitter, all your social media platforms of choice. Uh, we have not been one of the Twitter accounts, fake given Twitter blue, but you know, only a matter of time, I assume, Elon, we're waiting, and then we can complain about it, as all these people are doing, which good. Jake Stevens and Dylan Heiser producing, as always. We have a jam-packed show today. Here are the series we are going to cover, Warriors-Kings, Cavs-Knicks. And Suns Clippers, and we're, our big thing of the day is going to be players of the playoffs. Brendan and I are going to negotiate in real time the four players so far who have defined the playoffs for us, and we're going to come up with a consensus four uh, that'll be the Just Basketball players of the playoffs so far. The Justies, and, the Justies. I like that. That's good. I like that. Did you, did you, did you, did you kind of like at the all?
1: Dundies? Yeah, but from um, the office. That's that's my inspiration. Um, but yeah, I mean. Picking four was hard, so I'm excited to get to that. I'm excited to see how we approach
0: this because I went, like, a little weird, and I, I'm, I'm very proud of myself for going a little bit weird with two. Like, there's one pick that I don't think you're going to let me have, even though it's a play you really like, and I'm curious to see how we how we do this. But, Brandon, let's start big picture, kind of like uh a, in, a, in a weird place here. How have the playoffs been so far? I, I'll turn this over to you first because we are getting close to the end of the first round, and there have been there's one series that is awesome, that is Warriors-Kings. There are a couple series that started out awesome and then have kind of petered out. And then there's some kind of uncompetitive series. And there's one series in in Miami and Milwaukee that I don't really know what to call it because Giannis isn't playing and it's weird. And there's Tyler here also broke his hand. So weird stuff. So I ask you, how have the playoffs been so far? How has the quality of basketball been so far?
1: I kind of think basketball is in an awesome place, personally. I know that, you know, for a while there, I've I've really been thinking about this because I saw a lot of complaining. Um, And I think for a while there, and you can tell me how you feel because you were kind of in the thick of it with Cleveland. For the mid-2010s, all the way up until basically Durant leaves the Warriors, Uh I feel like that team, the Rockets and the Cavs, were the only championship contenders for about five years. And that led to a a lot of I think the narratives around everybody plays the same, and it kind of created a lot of imitators. I think with the heliocentric offenses that Harden and LeBron were running, that everybody thought their guy could do that. Whether that's Trey or Luca or even Giannis, I think has as he's gotten further away from trying to do everything, I think actually has gotten better. I think you could say that a little bit about Ja even today, but. I think the variety and kind of like variance that we see in how each team plays. I mean, look like Philadelphia and Brooklyn, that has not been an awesome series visually to like consume if you're a basketball lover, but it's been close. And those teams are playing a rock fight of a series. And then you have, you know, the Kings and Warriors who are playing, uh, you know, games in the one twenties. And you have the Cavs and Knicks who are in a similar type of rock fight with different kind of components, very guard heavy, whereas obviously Embiid is the focal point. For, I, I just think everybody's doing things a lot differently now, and everybody has a really thin margin for error, and it's wide open every year. I, I think it's been awesome. I know the actual series may not have lived up to the expectations. The only one that I'm really bummed by, Chris, and we're not talking about it kind of for this reason, is I thought Lakers-Grizzlies was going to be a classic, awesome series, and honestly, all three of the games have kind of sucked. The the high point of Grizzlies Lakers was a low point,
0: which was Dylan Brooks you know hitting LeBron below the belt and yeah I'm just kind of over Dylan Brooks
1: completely entirely over Dylan Brooks yep not talking to media um, after that whole snafu well did you and see the you not see living the, up to his talk at all it, with his performance did, <laughs> like did, yeah. did did you see the
0: quote he gave after practice on Sunday? I didn't. So this is uh, Tim McMahon from ESPN tweeted this. Uh, shots to Bill D. Filippo in front of the program who put this on my radar. Otherwise, I would have missed it as well. Dylan Brooks, I'm just going to read the tweet. Dylan Brooks, speaking after practice today, said he thinks the perception of him influenced the flagrant in two call in Game 3. Quote, the media making me villain, the fans making me villain. That just creates another persona on me. What are we even doing here? What are, What are we doing? Like, and honestly, if I'm the Memphis Grizzlies, I am just over this as well. Like... Be an be an instigator. Be a, a guy who plays tough. Be a guy who gets physical. Teams need those kind of players that give you an edge. This is taking it to like a step that is beyond too far. This is beyond like. This is kind of beyond like what Draymond does. You know
1: what I mean? Like here's, we're at the point. He here's not the difference. Good. Exactly, but on the other end of the floor, right? On offense, and Patrick Beverly figured this out a long time ago. He can do a lot of these same things so long as he just does very little on offense. Like, when he's overly involved on offense, everything tanks. When he was with the Bulls this year, I felt like he was in a comfort zone. When he was with uh, Minnesota last year, other guys were there to do the other stuff. All he had to do was be that instigator, and he knew, hey, keep the ball moving. Like, play hot potato with it because you're not here to do anything but that. Dylan Brooks thinks he's here to do the other stuff. And at, at like, to his credit, he had a fine regular season. But to follow up everything that he did off the court with the shenanigans with LeBron and calling him old and all that stuff, you have to live up to that a little bit more, especially if you're going to have a, as quick of a trigger as he has. Like, it, it's not going to be good enough if he's taking that many shots and missing so many of them, especially when things went sideways and their best players were all on the bench with foul trouble or in Jaw's case with... The injury, they were trying to take him slowly in that first quarter. Um, it, it, it got ugly in a hurry in no small part because he thinks he's a lot greater offensively than he is. So, yeah, it's, it's a problem. But, I, I mean, on the whole, I think people are bummed because that stuff has kind of gotten in the way, Chris, of the more fun conversation about the basketball being played. And I hear that, you know, not having Giannis... That Miami-Milwaukee uh, series just being completely decimated by injuries with Hero also on that, and then Morant getting hurt and everything. It it does kind of suck, but there's like three or four very, very good series, and I think we're seeing the beginnings of what I think truly will be a pretty awesome postseason. It might just take a round before every night you're you're having the best possible action. I think
0: we're also just headed towards some really good stuff, which would also give me some i like, think about this. Some of the past, like second round in the West, we're either getting the Lakers. Like, I think the Lakers are going to win the series. Let's just say the Lakers win. The- the- Let's just, the chances we're going to get are Lakers Kings or Lakers Warriors. Okay. Both of those I'm, I'm very into in the East. Boston is on the Boston is going to beat Atlanta. I know that's two one, but they're going to win that series and Philly is already advanced. Okay. Like that's going to be, if Embiid's healthy, that's a banger. Round two, the, the way the Knicks are playing, and they're gonna beat the Cavs. We're just there. That's that's that series is all but done. We're gonna get probably the Bucs, assuming they come back, and the Knicks. And I think like as much as I think Milwaukee wins that series, that is like the Knicks are gonna show up and not be like scared of it. It's that. a fun test for the
1: Bucs. They haven't it really a- played a team like that that can like they always have the physical advantage, whether it's not even Giannis, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's Portis, Holiday, Middleton. They just always own the the physical rhythm of a series, and that is not going to be as much the case against New York. I'm looking forward to that one.
0: Yeah, we're we're headed to some real fun stuff, yeah. and I and I think just so much of of what is to come to me is is going to be the most exciting part of what we're getting. At. Like, yes, have there been some weirdness? Yes, this is the first run of the playoffs, and yes, like over the course of seven game series, not every game is going to be scintillating, You know, like not every game is going to be super competitive. And Like with, I think the injuries do play a part in this as well, right? Like the fact that Giannis has missed two and a half games, the fact that Embiid now has a sprained knee, you know, the fact that we've seen two very serious injuries, you know, I, I, I really feel for Victor Oladipo. Um, I like I'm just gutted for that guy because he goes up and he comes down and he just knows immediately. And like, I understand he's not an all-star anymore, but like to see that guy, Terrence Patella tendon, after all yeah. he's been through to me is just a massive bummer. Hero breaks his hand, that's a massive bummer. Like, we're we're getting just guys getting banged up. Even like someone like Quentin Grimes, who was like a useful piece for Knicks, is out of that series as well with an Niners. So like everything is just you're getting Kawhi. guys injured. Kawhi
1: Leonard. Ka- yeah. Ka- yeah. Ka- I mean, Ka- Which I think Kawhi. is just like normal to us every spring, which, which is I a, think, obviously which is- really sucks for him. But he's doesn't look like he's playing the rest of the way if you just listen to the not what's being said by Ty Lu and some of the players, but how. It's being said, it doesn't feel like we're going to see Kawhi either. So yeah, I, I totally get that. That's the NBA recently. That's a, a summer podcast, I think, Chris, is what the mm-hmm. hell is going on with all of that. But I can I can obviously sympathize with people who, who are frustrated by injuries, but uh, it's just part of sports. The NFL playoffs are decided by injuries half the time, and you don't hear a lot of complaints there. It's just, it's the nature of it.
0: Uh, I will, we will be coming back to talk about Kawhi Leonard later for some of the reasons yeah. we talked about. At least not at least on, on my little list. But Brennan, do you want to go do you want let's go to some series? Um let's yeah. start with the the best game of Sunday so far. We're recording this before some of these finish up, but you know what? Sucks. That these are the, the important ones, these are the, the things we're we're getting to. Warriors Kings. I wanna start at the end of the game. So the Warriors win one twenty six to one twenty five. So the Kings try to do a thing, I think. I, without seeing what Mike Brown maybe said about a post game or like looking at the exact diagram or and everything. The Celtics, to me, this looked like a, a stealing of what the Celtics will do with Jason Tatum sometimes at the end of games, which is they will put him in the backcourt and let him gain a ton of steam and have a screen set for him and let him get into the lane. It makes a ton of sense to try to do that with De'Aaron Fox. And the Warriors snuffed out that entire possession. They defended the end of that, that last shot for the Kings perfectly the Kings last shot is not anything by Fox, who was the most clutch player in the league all season. He did get into the lane in open space. He had to give up the ball. Harrison Barnes contested three, and this series is now 2-2. This game was awesome. This game was high-paced. This game was video game numbers. Kings hit some threes for the first time all series, shot 40% from three. Fox, four of 11. Murray was uh, Murray was five of seven, which was a, a big deal considering kind of he's been just kind of like a spot, non very good starter for much of this series. But this series is full go. This series is going down to the wire, and the Warriors needed to
1: get this one, and they did. So do you not think that was the best plan of action on that last possession? Or what was your com- what did you come away with? Because you you didn't seem to love it, but I feel like getting a Barnes it was contested, but it was a late contest by Steph <laughs> Curry. It's not like it was Draymond Green, you know, getting a fingertip on it. So sure, I don't just- hate that shot. I don't either, but considering what I
0: think you were trying to get, like, that, if that, they, they just seemed like they had that one plan and then it just, like, unraveled. And that was just kind of a tricky thing. And it's like, you're, like, they clearly had this plan to get Fox, like, loose. And it just, just kind of bumbled its way yeah, from Yeah, but there. I and mean, it's look, not a, like, it, he's
1: not getting the ball all the way, he's not getting all the way to the basket in that spot against the Warriors' defense. So, if it... If anyone thinks that was like on the table, I kind of think you're wrong. Like even at his best in this series, he's really only getting layups when mm-hmm. he runs in transition. There's no half court dunks in the lane by De'Aaron Fox happening because Kevon Looney and Draymond Green have been very good. And Steph jumped the screen and 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 forced him to give it up. Obviously, you want the ball maybe in his hands more, but if the choices are a a contested pull up mid-range jumper by De'Aaron Fox or a Harrison Barnes catch and shoot kind of pretty open left wing three it's your veteran on your team it's not like the ball ended up in Murray's hands or sure. Dave Davion Mitchell's hands or whatever like Barnes you know he's one of six from deep maybe that affects how you feel about it because he wasn't necessarily the hot hand by any means I don't know I think all things considered it's a fine shot um Given the circumstances, you know, with yeah. having to to bring it from the sideline and, and not getting, you know, a full head of steam and trying to manufacture that head of steam. Like there's only so much you can really do in that spot. And I, I feel like a kick out from Fox to Barnes is a, a pretty good end result.
0: Yeah, I'm just being a hater. I'm watching it back now, like on Loop, uh pulled up. There's a really useful Twitter con called Hoops underscore bot that pulls like clips from Reddit and uh this I'm watching their like their clip of it. So like what I what I what stands out is number one, I love that the Warriors put Draymond on Fox for like long stretches. And they did to it close here, the game, yeah. To close the game. I thought it was in a little bit in the third as well, and it worked. Yeah. Uh Curry does a great job on this to when he when they're they're trying to get Fox on Curry. Cause Barnes screens, it's not a good screen, but Curry steps out, he pokes the ball free. That to me is really maybe the key of the whole play is that Curry pokes the ball free and Fox has to recollect and then switch directions again. And then he runs into Draymond, who's just not gonna like Darren Fox is awesome. And in a tight space like that, he's not going to get around Draymond. He's not going to beat Draymond physically ever, even if he has a full head of steam. So
1: I think you're right. he's like 6'2", right? So like, you know, there's only so many options at that point.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, you're right. You get the shot. Curry contests, all that stuff. Um, And then you get the the Malik Monk like slam of frustration at the end. But like the Warriors just, I think, just at that moment, like you see that's to me, that is like know-how. That is like, yeah. That is just those guys showing up and Draymond being in that spot and doing what he did. It's just like he is in that spot. There's probably no one I would trust more in the NBA to make that kind of play and to be kind of exactly like locked into that kind of moment. And look, kudos to him. He came back, comes off the bench, and he like defensively is like a
1: real, real, yeah,
0: like real reason. Even though Fox like has had this great series and big series and has the most points of any Kings player over the first four games of a series. He beat Oscar Robertson's previous record in this game. Like, Draymond kind of did... Like, he doesn't even have a good offensive game, but what Draymond does, I think, is really a huge, huge part in how like, the Warriors just did enough defensively to kind of get out of this one.
1: Absolutely. Um, funny that uh, we were oh, criticizing actually, Dylan Brooks for...
0: I got a Mike Brown quote about the final play. Here we go. Okay. Mike Brown, this is from uh, Matt George, who does Locked on Kings. Mike Brown said the plan for the final shot was to flatten out the defense and live with Fox's attempt. Harrison Barnes decided to set a screen to get a switch for Fox, and it resulted in the open three. Um, Brown said he liked the call by Barnes, but that's so that apparently was improv. That apparently was like a, a read in the situation by Harrison Barnes.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Obviously, I don't think that they were scripting the pass to Barnes. I just think if that's the bailout Opportunity, it's not the worst thing in the world. But uh, funny that we were making fun of Dylan Brooks for being a little too confident offensively after getting, uh, you know, some stuff happening to him off the court. And then Draymond did the same thing and also was pretty inefficient. But I guess, you know, seven assists, zero turnovers, and four offensive rebounds. That's probably the difference of why he's not going to get hit in, with that in the same way. Um, yeah, the Warriors, the way they play defense, situations like that, they're able to take more risks than anybody in the NBA because they know each other and because they have a, a scheme and are coached and have the chemistry to take up more space than it feels like any other team of five people in basketball can they're just they're just able to do that and and I think it's it's awesome to see when it happens in those big moments. Steph Curry calling a timeout that they didn't have to give the Kings the chance. not so great but um, big picture on this series Chris. I feel like one two takeaways from this on on more on Sacramento's side. Darren Fox deserves a huge amount of credit for the series basically being played on his terms. Like, Steve Kerr is feeling like he needs to match the Kings scoring. That's almost all coming from Fox. You know, in this game, Murray was able to make some spot-up threes, but other than that, nobody cracked 20 points. Monk didn't have it going. Sabonis didn't get to the free-throw line once. And so Fox being great enough offensively that rather than try to slow him down, Kerr's instinct is we have to match his scoring. That's pretty impressive. I guess you could say that putting another defender would more be responding to Fox, but I really see it as he is so much of a threat to create every single time he's on the floor that Kerr knows he needs to keep up with that. And that's pretty impressive. Um, He's a bonafide superstar. And this series to me is really, really showing that. I, I was unsure if... Obviously their ability to continue to play so fast would translate that has translated. And I was worried if his jumper success would translate because this is really the first year from mid range and from three that he's made enough to make the defense pay. And obviously there's a, I think it's reasonable to be a little bit skeptical on that, that it's going to carry over when he's facing more defensive attention and everything else. And it has without a doubt, he's shooting 47% 47% for mid-range in this series, which would be still a career best mark. Not quite the 51% he got in the regular season, but that's to be expected. And then heading into this game, he was 33% from deep, and he made four of eleven tonight, which is just a touch over that. So that has carried over, and he's making them pay when they leave him open on the catch, when he pulls up from deep, when they go under the screen, um, and obviously, you know that that really deep pull-up mid-range jumper that's almost a paint shot. It's like halfway between a floater and a jumper half the time. You're not really sure what he's going to do. That's going mm-hmm. in too. He's been huge.
0: He is ascended. He is just dueling Curry. And like, I I love that we're seeing them go back and forth at each other at times. And like Fox is drawing fouls off of Curry and like really frustrating him defensively. Like it is. This is just a real elevation. And particularly with Sabonis not having this like a, a peaks to bonus series that this has just been kind of a hard matchup for him. I think it even makes it what Fox is doing even more impressive. And if, the, and if this game with the four of 11 from three, if that kind of buoys him forward as they go back home to Sacramento and the cowbells are back and it's raucous and it's the series gets deeper and deeper. That feels like only more of an advantage for, for Fox. And like, well, maybe this is like a, a sign of what is to come for these two guys. I think, I think that is just a really interesting. Thing. And then I, I also look at Murray and it's like, is this, is this just a flash in the pan thing for Murray? Or is this like a hey, like this guy is hanging a little bit now, and we can we can get some of these threes from him, and maybe maybe you don't need to worry about that if Monk is hitting or if Herder is hitting. I mean, Herder only took one three in this game. And don't think you can count seven. on Herder hitting. He's like, been so maybe really some bad of that changes. Series. But I I you would feel pretty good to me if he can go in that environment and do that. I would feel pretty good about what what you're getting from him in just that sense.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, with Murray, there's nothing really making me feel like he can't keep it up because it's just a confidence thing for him, you know. Um, they're gonna be able to generate threes for basically whoever they want, whether that's in the pick and roll on drive and kick stuff or whether that's with the dribble handoffs from Sabonis. I thought that part of his game was working pretty well today, better than it has in other games. Um, and maybe they just switch it over and they say, Okay, less less herder on some of those dribble handoffs and more Murray, and, and that can can help them go forward. Um I think the Kings are the better team right now. To me, Uh, it feels like they have better depth and more balance. They're not so tethered to one player like the Warriors have been with Steph, although Clay and and Poole played really well tonight, even even Wiggins. So maybe there is more balance developing for Golden State, but I feel like through four games, Sacramento has had that. But I think they need to finish it in six and that would revol- involve doing it on the road they they've they've dug themselves a hole now by not stealing one of these games in san francisco where they now either need to win it on the road or try to take a game seven from golden state and neither one of those sounds like a whole lot of fun
0: no um i think that i think where i go is like i wonder how the kings feel this as they like forward and like i i one of the i think having harrison barnes on their team is going to be particularly helpful you know even if he has off shooting nights and even if he has some of these moments. I think having a guy that won a championship, that has been through things with that Warriors team that can tell it can kind of help keep them grounded. Like Fox has never been through this. Sabonis has never been through this. Like they're gonna go into waters that they've never gone into before. Um as this gets deeper and deeper. And they're gonna have to go back to they're gonna have to go back to Oakland or San Francisco. It's not technically in Oakland anymore.
1: Um I almost called it Oracle and it's not Oracle. it's also not that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I feel like think, Malik Monk think, needs to play better would be more important yeah, to me than yeah, but, Harrison but Barnes I, putting not, his arm around somebody's shoulder, you know?
0: No, I'm not saying that's more important, but I'm saying it like if I was like feeling optimistic about the Kings, that to me is part of the reason I would feel like some optimism. It's like I think that is just
1: like a useful thing to have because like I and they look, just they, haven't been scared at all in this series. I don't no. know who you attribute it to, but they have just come ready every single night. And and that's part of why I feel like they're better is I think you would have looked at the talent and the overwhelming nature of Sacramento's offense and felt like that was an advantage even before game one ever started, but you would have had this in the, in the back of your mind, can they execute? Can they be as confident? Can they be as consistent as golden state? And yeah, maybe some end game scenarios have gone golden state's way because Curry is a defense breaker and Draymond is a genius and all this stuff. But I think you would look at that and say that they've checked those boxes. They are as confident as they need to be. They have executed at a very high level, and they are pretty consistent. I mean, they're scoring 120 something points a uh-huh. night in this series. It's not like they've had big slippage. I guess game three was was pretty ugly for them, all things considered, but even then, it wasn't like they rolled over.
0: No, I mean both teams are putting up pretty good offensive numbers, um, pretty high offensive ratings. Like they're they're close every time. Neither team's getting to the rim very much, which is kind of interesting. There's like a lot of there's there's a good amount of threes. And there's a ton of mid range shots. Like this series, this game in particular, kind of settled and took a lot of middies. The, the other question I have for Golden State too is, what do you do? Does Draymond just now come off the bench going forward?
1: Is this just like a no, thing that he'll you do now? I think he'll start the next game. I think he'll start the next game because um, you just need Poole to be the the secondary creator when when Steph's not in there. And and there's kind of a million ways to get to that. Right? It's like he could be a direct replacement for Steph. He could be the first sub in. When Looney leaves the court in the first quarter, he could be any, you know. I think that's what they were trying to do there, is not get off to a bad start offensively and let Sacramento take them that that way. Maybe they do. Maybe they keep it. Um, I, I feel like it would actually, to me, be more likely if they would bring Looney off the bench going forward than Draymond, and we've seen them do that before. So yeah, that's just ultras, my guess. Go. But I, I still feel like the Kings need to maybe start Monk over Herder, personally, and... Maybe that is another chess move that kind of throws everything into flux. But I just don't think, like, at, at, before at least Herter was just missing the shots he did take. Today, he didn't even take them. You got to do something about that.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think that's fair. I, I, I hope this year's go seven. That's all I really want. Yep. It's been the best one. It's been by far the best one, I think, in terms of stakes, in terms of what's actually happened on the court. In terms of what's at, what what could happen if one team loses or one team doesn't, I mean, the Kings pull this off. This is ripple effect, yeah, like emanating out of Northern California. Uh, Brennan, let's move to Cavs Knicks, which can I can you start on this one and where you want to go? Because I like <laughs> I did lockdown Cavs about this and I I was blowing up your phone like talking about this series, mm-hmm. and I'm very much just like I think this is either over Wednesday or Friday. This is not going seven. Cleveland is not winning this. What's what is standing out to from this years? Where did Cleveland lose its way here?
1: Yeah. um, Where did Cleveland lose its way here? I think it's to me now that we're four games in because we had a debate when game two was such a clunker right about. Kind of whose fault is this? What's the root problem? Is it the lack of the fifth guy? Is it the lack of a. Of spacing is it the young guys being young and inexperienced making boneheaded decisions, and the way that I've come down after four games is it, it's a lot on coaching because it's not so much that coaching can make up for those list of things I just said. I, I think Garland not being aggressive and effective from the jump of these games is is just making life harder for everybody. I feel like Mobley has not been able to be involved and find ways to be impactful offensively quite as much. I think Jared Allen is getting gobbled up on the glass every single night. And there's on and on a bunch of reasons you could go with. But the, me- the main thing to me is you look at their inability to stay with one plan of attack that works for more than even half a quarter at a time, let alone a quarter or half a game like there's blips of okay you know the Garland Allen pick and roll was working really well in game 4 beginning of the third quarter that's what allowed Garland to end up with pretty good numbers despite an awful first half well then they didn't go to it anymore you know um certain things that i feel like have have gotten Real offense rolling for them like you know they they did a a Garland Mitchell Mobley Spain pick and roll at one point they've run they were running some double drag with Garland uh, with Levert as a screener to have uh, Brunson become involved defensively either get a switch on him or make him need to rotate get some offense going that way. They might, you know, get some catch and shoot threes for Levert or Osman or Koro or at times because of some nice ball movement and bending the next defense. And then they just go away from it. And it's either that the players aren't recognizing it or that the coaches aren't acknowledging and identifying and game planning for it. Either way, to me, that comes back to coaching. Yes, there's a certain amount of responsibility for the players to go out there and punish what's what's there. The Knicks are a very clear defensive team. They drop, they clog the paint. Tom Thibodeau has been doing this for a decade. Maybe there's some new wrinkles, whatever new talent, new players. They have a lot of length. I get all that, but there have been success points for the calves and they have not sustained. And so to me, that's, that's the biggest disappointment for this team. And I do feel like as much as you can blame a whole number of other things, the number one for me that I feel like is causing them to be in this hole is they're, they're facing a team that's just being coached better and better prepared to execute what needs to happen to win games.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think you feel in the series that Tom Thibodeau trusts what he has much more than JB Bickerstaff trusts what he has. And and some of that, I think some of that, I think you're, you're in what you're indicating is I think Bickerstaff is there's stuff that is working and then he isn't trusting it enough. Like, I think some of the things they were doing to attack Brunson, they just had to do more of it. I think some of the stuff to create more dynamicism in the offense. Like in the third quarter when Darius Garland really comes alive and makes this game competitive again. They put Carol Silver on the ball and Darius Garland is whipping off of it coming in and getting and getting the ball and he's initiating that way and he's cutting and he's getting threes and it's working. And like it was giving the Knicks a different look and not just playing really slow. The other part of this I, I think that is I don't really know what to to make of it, because I, I think there's a couple ways to look at it, and some of it is just Cleveland desperately just doesn't have the wings it needs to really be a, a, a really good team.
1: But I, I don't On understand. On which side of the ball do you think that's the bigger issue, though? I think because it feels like people don't, it, don't know it, what they mean when they say that sometimes, and I yes. think you think it's spacing. I kind of think it's the opposite. I Or no, no, no. I yeah, think, yeah I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah, I think it is the offense more. Yeah.
0: So, like yeah. like, offensively, this team is dying out for, like, someone to shoot Someone to space yeah. around too big, someone to to space off of Mobley, space off of Allen. Like even Le- like Lavert was like a had the best catch and shoot season of his career. He doesn't like strike fear in defense. He's not consistent enough. I the the guy that comes to mind for me in this situation, Brennan, is Okoro because I think like the Cav's defense looks much, much better when he was defending Jalen Brunson. I know people will go and look at them pep. There's a lot of people on Twitter, on Cavs Twitter that have like said, like, look at the matchup stats, look at what Brunson Has done to a core all year. I'm like, okay, a those stats are wonky if you've like looked into them at all. Okay, yeah. Secondly, look at the film. Look at the process. Look how much harder of a time Brunton is having attacking a core, and then look at look at offensive rebounding rates. Look at offensive ratings. Like look at all these other numbers that are indicators of how a guy is doing, and he's doing the best job. And but then he's like, okay, he's one of four from three or one of five from three in this game, and he has two nice drives. And like you're like, okay, shot forty three percent from the from the from catch threes from the break and it's like that's like this imperfect option and then the other option is Jedi Osman who is a better shooter but the, the guy like he has no feel for like what is going on around him it yeah. is like astounding to watch a player who has like useful NBA skills who like can't shoot who can dribble a little bit who like does play with tempo like who like he took a three in this game Brendan laid it like late in a late in a quarter that he just rushed and if he' taken three seconds to like think and process, He could have got a better shot for a teammate or or for himself and
1: said he airballs it. And when he's defending Jalen Brunson, he's just getting smoked over and over. He fouled him twice in like the first two minutes he was guarding him at the end of that first quarter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like Okoro, like I understand, like if you're Bickerstaff, you're like, okay, this is thin margins, but Okoro misses two shots. And then you're like, all right, got to go back to Jetty Osmond, who like for context Mm -hmm. is a player that Bickerstaff dating back to last year has never trusted. Last year he benched him for a long stretch after a, a, a bad performance in Sacramento. And then this year he's been in and out of the rotation, and like the numbers tell mm-hmm. you, the on-off stuff tells you this is an effective player. There are clearly things he does well. This is not a guy that feels suited to like playoff basketball, particularly against this Knicks team. I, I don't understand yeah. what Pickers have thinking there.
1: No, I don't either. It's weird. I think though the Okoro thing to me speaks to part of what I'm talking about with the going at, picking at warts of of the opponent, right? Because part of what you saw with Okoro. The way he's guarded, obviously, like you said, um, Levert's not striking fear into the defense. Okoro certainly is not. He's not going to be defended. They had Randall on him most of the time, right? So, or at least in, in the instance that I'm talking about in the third quarter, they had Randall on him. So what you saw was Okoro got five threes up. The three of those guys, Osman Okoro and Levert, were four of uh, 15 from deep. That's that's ugly. But when Okoro was out there, he's the best guy attacking closeouts. And he got back-to-back layups Attacking Randall because the other thing about Randall is not only is he a four who's like halfway a five and like two hundred and forty pounds, he's also hurt right now. So mm-hmm. that's actually not even a bad outcome of a possession in my opinion. Is it the the number one goal you want in the half court is to get a coro driving off of a closeout? Probably yeah. not. But he got to the basket. You could use a coro as a screener in that moment. Recognize that Randall's on him and try to pick at Randall. Outside of trying to post Randall up with Mobley, they have not done anything to try to make him garden space at all and it's like a, a great team with the talent to recognize and pick at those things would would turn what might be a weakness coaches overplay their hand in the playoffs all the time because they have to it, it's just constantly a battle of going overboard to attack something that the opponent is bad at but if you're able to then flip it back on them and make what they thought was a weakness. Now you're making it a strength. Like that's the chess move that's happening with these coaches. And it feels like J.B. Bickerstaff is playing, you know, clue instead of chess sometimes. It's like, do it back to Thibs, you know? Do it back to yeah. Tibbs. Like make him panic and do something different. It, I I know that's a very specific example. And like involving Okoro more in the offense is probably not anybody's idea of a winning formula for the Cavs. But there was an, a, an example of that where I'm like, this doesn't have to be the embarrassing, like, panic emergency that he seems to think that it is whenever Okoro's out there. It's like, well, turn it into something that's not so bad. You do something about it, because he's clearly helping you on the other end, and it just feels like Bickerstaff is allowing himself to not have any solutions to a problem that probably has more solutions than he's realizing, I guess.
0: Yeah, and I and I think you're good, this takes Cleveland to a place where it's like, what do you... What does this mean for this team? And I mean, like Brendan, the other name we have not mentioned once that I think is worth mentioning is that Donovan Mitchell uh, was again pretty bad. Hit eleven points, played forty-two minutes, five of eighteen from the field, oh four from three, took two free throws, two. No aggression. No, nothing. Like I. Like, I, I think Josh Hart's a good defender. I think Deuce McBride's a good defender. These guys should not be like eliminating Donovan Mitchell or throwing him off his game entirely. I don't understand. McBride where. has
1: barely played in his NBA career, and he came out and had like the best five minutes you're ever going to see from a young guy.
0: I, I don't, I do not understand where Donovan Mitchell went the last two games. And like, maybe there's some Bickerstaff stuff here as well, like tactically that we could, that you can get into. I think there, there is something yeah. with Mitchell's like, lack of being like a plus pros creator that has really hurt hurt him in some of these playoff kind of environments against teams with like stouter guards but like I, where has he gone though i i would have bet brendan based on what we've seen from him this year based on how he carries himself i was pretty much betting on like a pretty stout mitchell game for performance and instead you just got like two points in the second half like what like what like what happened? What is going on here? I, I don't understand. Yeah. Like this Cavs team is flawed. I mean, I can saw the team up close all year. This team has a lot of obvious flaws. They should not be like down three, one in like existential crisis feeling mode about like how they've played. No. And yet here we are. It's kind of bizarre.
1: It is very bizarre. And that is a great way to put it because, you know, it becomes a pile on very easily with these high profile losses. I can remember last year I was, I did an entire show really just doubting the very essence of if Devin Booker was good enough in the long run. And like, because the sun's lost in a very ugly fashion and it, it, it brings that out of you. So I agree. It's, it's not panic time. These players are still good at what they're good at. Um, I have a point about one of the young guys, I think uh, too, but on the Mitchell side, uh, I do think it's fair and I won't begin to understand why he, shied away I mean the the lack of something is one of the hardest things to see in real time in the NBA because it's just not happening and he just wasn't shooting it people point you know compared it to James Harden and things like that it's ugly but it's kind of fair he just he was a uh, he was he disappeared in, in the late late parts of that game when they really needed him um, but as much as I don't know why it happened or specifically even what the hell was going on I think it's fair after this many years with Mitchell to evaluate, because especially if they're going to be thinking about what their next coach might look like, or how these other guys, as they age into their primes, are going to be best fitting to play well, with him. I, I have a Bickerstaff
0: thing. I just want to, add just yes or no, and then maybe we can come back to this if we kind of see how the series ends. Is this series a fire offense for JB Bickerstaff?
1: I think, given the fact that he's flamed out before and not wasn't always thought of as the best tactician in the first place, th- this is not like the first time we've ever seen him have to handle these things. He had a little bit of this reputation before. And so that leads me to say, yes, I understand. I'm not naive to the financial stuff of his contract being very long. So that, that matters. <laughs> I texted you how long he was signed for. Good it and
0: you, I texted you um, that he signed through and you said, good Lord.
1: Yeah. Good Lord. But to back to the Mitchell thing, I think it's fair to look at all of that with all those things in mind, the history with him, the fact that they need to figure out what they are as a team, and question the limitations that his style presents. I don't think there's a lot of limitations to what he's able to do on the court. He's incredibly skilled and talented. More, to, more so to me, it's like in these playoff situations, he mostly is a one-on-one scorer in the pick and roller in isolation and a one-pass creator, Right? It's going to be find a mismatch and attack. It's going to be get a screen and either reject it or take it, try to get to the basket, draw fouls, kick out, pull up jumpers. That's it. I pretty much just described his entire offensive game and he's amazing at it. One of the best at all of those things. And I think he can do more, but he's never been put in position to do more. And I think that it's time to kind of think about, okay, what coach can bring more out of him, bring him off screens, um you know set him up in different circumstances get him to embrace the other aspects of the game I continue to wonder why he's not more of a of a guy that should be guarding Jalen Brunson um all this stuff so I know we have more time to talk about the Cavs once they actually lose my last point Chris on this is I think this series actually will be great for Darius Garland in the long run uh-huh. I think because a lot of a lot of it with him just since seems to be aggressiveness and assertiveness and confidence And him having those moments where he's not doing much and then having the moments, the kind of aha moments of like, okay, wow, I really can dominate. (laughs) I think he'll remember a lot of these things. And hopefully that contributes to game one of whatever series next year. He's just in attack mode from the jump or at least has a plan of action. I know his game is not always just score 50, but just a plan of action of what to attack and kind of how the defense is going to be guarding him. And and I think it will help. It's his first time. And like, I do think people need to be reminded of that a little bit too, but uh, that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of pressure on this team to make some changes and figure some stuff out.
0: I I would also add Evan Mobley to that list. Yeah. He is, he was a little more aggressive in game four, but there's going to be a learning curve. We should, we should, should hit a little bit on the Knicks who are just Mm -hmm. playing awesome. I think Mitchell Robinson has been like a, maybe the most like important player for them this entire series. Hartenstein is also just helping to kick Jared Downs, but like, let they're me put this to you. Cause I, I tweeted guys. this and
1: I had some people disagree with me. The Knicks have two of the 20 best centers in the NBA. Is that yeah. crazy? Yeah.
0: Uh, no, I I think Hartenstein is awesome. I think Mitchell Robinson is like a little up and down and he's awesome. And they got them at like great values. Like they're kind of t- like showing you like how to you can like build a good center rotation without like,
1: but you know how many teams would want to have Isaiah Hardenstein as their starting center? A ton. Yeah, a lot, a lot. Yeah. And he. One other thing on this, I feel like Johnny Bryant, who runs the Knicks offense and has been in Utah with Quinn Snyder and has been the associate head coach with the Knicks since Tibbs took over,
0: future Cleveland Cavaliers head coach Johnny Bryant. Is that what you are? Future
1: talking? any. Anybody head coach Johnny Bryant? Like I don't know why he's not getting interviewed. He he has completely flipped Tibbs's reputation on its head and has turned this Knicks offense into something really to, really formidable. Like I know they isolate a lot, and I've looked into the numbers on this of like passes per game and things like that. They don't rate very highly, but I think that's because Randall and Brunson are so good at scoring one on one, and and they like to slow the game down, and it it works to their benefit in a, in a lot of cases. But on the possessions, when they do decide to run offense and actually get everybody involved, the ball moves so well. And they don't have a ton of spacing. They don't have the best passers, but somehow they just keep working and working and working through a possession and eventually a a good enough shot always seems to come along for them. And uh, yeah, he, tip of the hat to him. Obviously, the player's executing it as well, but... Um, that's the thing. when we were talking about which place the Cavs wing stuff hurts them, people have been saying, well, they need the guys guys to go check Brunson when he's going off like this. I'm like, the Knicks scored 102 points. You should Their be able to keep is- up with that. Their offense is yeah. not smoking hot right now by any means.
0: No, like this series has been like like the offensive rating for the Knicks in this game was 114.6. That's like about league average. That's not like anything if you're a quality enough team that is it that should be insurmountable like yes are they goosing that with offensive rebounds yes but like it's about an average offense that is like not a great effective field goal percentage not a great turnover percentage not an overwhelming free throw rate like they're killing you in the offensive glass and they're killing you by your offense not being good enough to overcome like if you're a team that has aspirations to be anything you're you should be able to beat a team in the playoff series that your that, that your defense has largely held up and then you're beating a team you should be able to beat a team that has like an average offense you just kind of should boy, oh boy tough stuff all right let's go to suns clippers Brennan this series feels a little bit close to over to me um yep suns up 3-1 the Suns up three one doesn't seem like Kawhi is gonna play again. But here's my only real take on this series that I that I feel good about. No, well, actually, I want to salute Chris Paul for a second for the other night when the, he didn't realize the ball hit the rim and then he threw the shot up and it went in anyway. And like Katie and, and Book were just like looking at him like, "Come on, man, he's just smirking." Like.
1: Love that. Shout out to Chris Paul. They honestly really, needed that moment because yeah, uh, they, they kind of yeah. had to stick up their butts. And, you know, it, it there were some tight, uncomfortable moments in this series. And then they finally all just sort of like laughed and celebrated. And it was like, OK, we're up three one. We're going back home like everybody can chill. And like that moment, actually, I think will they might look back on that one and be like, damn, OK, like that's when it felt like we could let our breath out a little bit. But yeah, also the point God making a play in the fourth quarter. It's classic stuff. Yeah. In and that I, building I, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Just, you know, full circle kind of great moment. What I also just think is, I think this is the kind of series as much as it has not been, it's like going to be over in five probably, I would imagine.
1: Fingers crossed. There,
0: yeah. There there has been enough for them to like go through some paces to lose game one to have to play close games, to execute, to, to to maximize stuff, to go against a well-coached team with guys that are competitive and guys that are good, even if it's not Kawhi anymore because he's out. I think that has been good for them. I think for a team that is so on the fly, that is so figuring this out as it goes, I think for them as a group to go through that stuff, I am mm-hmm. I think this has been, and at, at least as, as much as it's going to be disappointing for us as basketball fans that we're not seeing like Kawhi go toe-to-toe with this team in the same way anymore because that injury, mm-hmm. I think this has been a positive for the Suns, who are probably heading into a dogfight against the Denver Nuggets Enron, too. This feels like a good starting point for them to launch into a series against the number one seed and a two-time MVP.
1: Yeah, honestly to me, aside from the Warriors and the Kings, because the Kings have a very clear identity and they're very great at specific things that you have to respond to, those are the toughest teams to play in the playoffs. And the Clippers are right up there. They're ahead, to me... In that specific regard, I feel like they are ahead of the Clippers, or I'm sorry, they are ahead of the Lakers, they're ahead of the Grizzlies, they are ahead of the Timberwolves without a doubt, obviously, Um, and they're probably close to the Nuggets. I I think that the Nuggets make you respond to their offense and the various two-man game stuff and ball movement, offensive firepower that the Nuggets do. But the 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 Clippers are deeper than the Nuggets. The Clippers are have a more uh, out there head coach that's willing to just try stuff and take the game in a completely different direction, like it's a roller coaster that veers off all of a sudden, and that makes them just a c- complete nightmare to deal with. And so I, I agree with you. Even with Kawhi being hurt, they've been a really good test for the Suns. This game, this series would have been a lot closer. I think it would have gone potentially seven if Kawhi was able to stay healthy, especially with the Paul George thing lingering. I don't know if we'll get there. I don't know if we'll get to a six or seven for the PG thing to even be a possibility, but uh, I guess either way, the Suns did have a test. I mean, what do you think about that? Because it looks like, you know, by the time people are listening to this, Denver might have already swept and the Suns are on their way to potentially winning in five. Is it crazy to say that Denver is a, a little bit of a sigh of relief series for the Suns where at least they cannot play their guys in the mid 40s minutes and not be in hell for 48 minutes at a time? I think that's right and I also just think you look at what um
0: wh- again like what we kind of think of as the boogaboo for the for Denver's defense like it's <laughs> it's it's very much what the Suns are, right? It's mid-range. It's 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 those guys attacking Murray and attacking MPJ. Like MPJ has like had a pretty good playoffs. Uh Kevin Durant is going to like cook that guy.
1: I mean, and he's like, not going to guard Durant. I think Gordon will guard Durant, but but they're going to they get, get sw- those I, they're, they're, yeah, they're going to exactly.
0: get they're going to manufacture switches. They're going to manufacture switches for Book onto Murray and like attack him downhill so it's not KCP guarding him. Like they're going to do stuff that is that simple. And it's going to be a pain in the butt. For, yeah,
1: that, that the, series. I mean, we'll have time to talk about it probably in our next episode because they they might have already won. I don't know when we're recording, but, um, but it's going to be like this Kings Warriors, not as fast, but high high scoring. It's going to be who who can score the most. There's not going to be a, a lot of defense played. I don't think uh, overall. But on the Clippers side, let's talk about some good and then some bad. Okay. To me, this Russell Westbrook moment is the best story of the entire first round. Outside of Sacramento holding it together, that's more of a predictable thing. But unexpected and consistent, this is it to me. Like This has been a genuinely dominant Russell Westbrook series. Four games Uh of it. Even the first game, he didn't make shots. The last three, he scored damn near 30 a night. And he's continuing to do it on defense, even with the offensive burden like they're in these games. Powell was great in game three. Powell was not great in game four. Russ was great in both. And obviously they're doing all that stuff we just talked about. And Lou is coaching up, you know, a game plan to try to stop the sun stars, but without Russell Westbrook's offense, they would not be here without his defense. They would not be close in these games. And nobody saw that coming. Um The Lakers stuff went so badly that it really felt like he might be out of the league. It felt like nobody genuinely thought nobody would buy him out and here he is making an impact in the playoffs like it can't go underrated that's a, a an nba top 75 voted guy who we thought was done making this big of an impact against a team that has a real championship pedigree in a, an entire playoffs series. like it's just crazy to me it's it's really really cool
0: it a hundred percent. I mean, it, it is the, the, again, we talked about this, we made a quick out of it. I think that guy is the mental toughness component of him. It should be, we should, I would like love to be able to buy that in a bottle and take it for myself every day to like fortify myself. That guy is made of stuff that I just can't even like fathom how tough that guy is. Right. Like it is, it is unbelievable.
1: But I just I didn't think, think that- he had the athleticism and the like, Ability to stay healthy. I mean, I know he's always played. That's never really been his issue. But this is like a later stage version of him, right? It's not just like time has passed, so it's such a surprise because, you know, we just saw him play poorly for a while. It's like he also, the ability to just physically make the impact that he is at his age when he has looked so cooked is also pretty crazy. Like, it's one thing to have the mentality. He kind of always had that, but it felt like his body and his you know processing just couldn't do it anymore and now he just he just can all of a sudden
0: and some of that maybe some of that's just he he's in a work environment he wants to be in cuz like it was pretty clear at the like think about the 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 night lebron scored or broke kareem's record like it was kind of just like what is russ doing like this it was very weird and awkward and you could kind of tell like he wasn't in the flow with everyone else and there was like reporting that like russ was like, like Anthony Davis was frustrated with Russ and that's why he was like sitting down at that one point. Like there, like that clearly yeah. wasn't an environment and then Paul George has been like welcoming him and I think Ty Lu has been, Ty Lu for like all, like if you have, there's some things that he, I know that drives Clippers fans crazy, but that guy is always kind of like welcome people and really embrace like what guys are. He did that in Cleveland with Kyrie. He did that with JR. Like he's doing that with, I'm sure there's parts of Kawhi that he probably finds frustrating with the coach, but he embraces it and he gets the most out of like what his teams are year after year after year. Rust, like I this think, is maybe like the best case for Rust is to end up in a place like this.
1: Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I think you're right, and I think the Lou factor doesn't get talked about much with him. That this is not the first time we've seen that happen, even in a playoff environment with a Lou coached team. He's been, I think, his front offices have had the trust in him that he can maximize some of those players that in other environments weren't playing well, and maybe we all thought that chalked that up to LeBron in the past, but this does kind of prove that he has played an element in putting those guys in position to succeed on the court, but also just empowering them. Um, What do you think of Lou as a playoff coach? I think he's, I I mean, not even just a playoff coach, but especially in the playoffs, I think his embrace of risk and taking of chances game plan wise makes him one of the most nightmarish coaches to play against and to try to beat. And as much as there are some of those bugaboos that I know Clippers fans don't like, I mean, his teams are routinely very good and win a lot of games. I, I, You know, you can get mad about Marcus Morris or you could appreciate that, you know, you were pretty good anyway and your stars never play. Just my two cents. I'm not a Clippers fan. I don't watch him every night, but come on. he He would be... In a top three coach for
0: me, if I could like pick a coach now to like lead my franchise, it is Spolstra, Tyloo, and like maybe just by default like Pop or Steve Kerr. But like Pop just as like an advisor, and Kerr maybe is more of like a in person kind of thing. Those are, like he's up there to me. Like it's un- it's mm-hmm. there, there's not even a question that I think he's one of the top couple coaches in the league. Like and all that, like honestly, like one of the like I maybe he wanted out, maybe he like needed the break that he took. But I I've always kind of wondered if like Cleveland could have found a way to make him the head of whatever they were going to do post LeBron, and how how things maybe look differently for them. And like obviously it's worked out to some degree, you know. Like they got Donovan kind of Mitchell, yeah. like like they got back Crazy to play. Crazy if for- he had coached the Lakers too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like and, look, yeah. Frank Vogel did a great job, and like look, Ty Lue knew it was worth there. Like he wanted the money he deserved, and he got it from Steve
1: Ballmer. So he didn't want him. to be tied to LeBron with the contract lengths and all that. So I yeah, get it. I think he's really good at what he does. Yeah, he's a very very I smart had, guy. I he's the best. I had one more thing on the Clippers, kind of on this note. Well, they haven't lost yet. Don't want to count them out. But if Kawhi doesn't play, I mean, they might win. Even if it goes seven, I just I they're not gonna. I don't think they're going to win. Um, do they just keep with this holding pattern? These guys are hurt every single spring. Every single year. I. What even is the pivot is the thing? I mean, trade one of them. You probably still get a lot, right? I mean, at least for Paul George, Ooh. I think you would. I think people would be a little questioning of Kawhi for physical reasons and for what's his whole vibe reasons but i think you could get but I, good stuff but what it, if you really wanted to
0: yeah or do they just i mean but do you do you maybe just need to reset all once like if you trade paul george as Kawhi gonna be like yeah man that's cool
1: we can just take like a half step back and like I no maybe not I, you know but I? then there you go there's your pivot you asked what the pivot is i think trading both of them would be a pretty obvious pivot That that that. Could I'm not be the saying thing. they it... should. I'm just asking, like, what what do they do? They have the the deepest, most theoretically talented, most expensive roster in the NBA. Mm-hmm. They have a great coach, like we just talked about. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else. What else can you try besides just continuing to cross your fingers? And maybe that's what you do when you have superstar players in their primes who fit well together. Is you just keep. Rolling it back and crossing your fingers, but I would be exhausted working in that organization with this outcome at the end of the tunnel every year.
0: This is where, like, I wonder what we don't really know what he's thinking, but like, I wonder if Bombers, like, I've had enough of this and we need to like do something different. Like, I wonder if that comes into mind for him. I we don't, but we don't know.
1: Did you see the the tweet of that? He kind of just had his arm around Kawhi's shoulder post game yesterday I did they were just kind of like walking that's just it's a bummer i mean like I, as much as it is about basketball it's like kind of like the old Depot thing you were saying it's like yeah i'd be exhausted to be one of the people working in the organization you know who i'd be more exhausted being is Kawhi. Uh-huh. like your body, body just, just not keeping up with <laughs> ability and talent and you know goals of life uh, hey i want to win a championship again your body says no thanks like it's 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 not easy
0: yeah. All right. Let's go to the players of the playoffs, Brendan. Um, Let's just, just—I'm Kawhi's on my list. Kawhi's my first nominee. We're just going to dive right in and talk about him. Okay. He was, the be- he was the best player in that series before he got hurt. And I understand he got hurt, but he played two games. Look, here's, here's just, look, we're so early in the first round that I'm going to be weird. I'm allowed to be weird in the first round of the playoffs. I feel passionately about this. So I'm nominating Kawhi. I think he was the best player in that series. And it's like part of the story of these playoffs that he got hurt. And he was the best player again in that series and maybe the best player in the freaking playoffs before he, he's down. So I, I'm just nominating him because I feel like he was that good. And like, it's going to get lost. It's going to get lost in the shuffle. We're going to be in another round here soon and we're going to forget about the Clippers for a couple months. I, I kinda me, just want to shout out Kawhi.
1: Yeah, give me your four. Just all uh, of the
0: no, players I, I that know. you had I, on I your wanna... list. I want to nominate as we go. I want to have okay. I want to I want to let this breathe a little bit. I I know I want to we have to vote as we go, I think. So is Kawhi, are you good on Kawhi?
1: Well, it's going to be compared to right. my guys. So All right. So that's my we first. We can go one on. We, get, we can go back and forth, but yeah, I think we go back, back and to decide at the end because right. um, okay. we have to make our cases. There're going to be some close cuts. There's going to be some some outside looking ins. Um my number 1 is in the same series. It's Devin Booker. Devin Booker is also on my list, so he's going to get on. I mean, what the hell this guy's been the best player in the playoffs i think uh 35 yeah. points per game he is averaging um like three steals per game on top of it i think over a block per game he's shooting an absurd percentage from the field um 42 of 91 from two-point range just uh are sorry 42 of 68 from two-point range <laughs> which is uh obscene um yeah just manipulating everything the Clippers throw at him, ball in his hands, off the ball, driving, taking pull-up jumpers, guarded by Westbrook, guarded by Gordon, guarded by Batum, guarded by whoever you want to put out there. He's leading the playoffs in win shares, leading the playoffs in every sort of thing you could look for. Um, he has been a killer, and he does it every year. So um, this is just the latest evolution. But I, to me, I mean, he's, he's number one with a bullet. Yeah, he was.
0: If I wasn't gonna be a weirdo and pick, Ka- pick Kawhi, that's where I was gonna go. Um, he's yeah. he's been the best player in the Suns. He had, which is they have Kevin Durant now. Like that, that's saying something how good Booker's been. He's been hyper efficient. He's been a killer. There, there's just like no way around the fact that he is just like killing it. And I am I'm perpetually just very much blown away by every kind of little thing he does and how good he is and how he just. Like he knows how to assert himself. It is like if I if I was like the Cavs, I'd be like Donovan Mitchell. Can you watch some like Devin Booker film and like see how this guy is like w- like able to just keep asserting himself and be relentless? And there's just like things he does that are just
1: perfection. I mean, I what do you I, think specifically he does that sets him apart from somebody like Mitchell? I think. I, about this I can I, th- I can sing a Booker song all day, but I uh I'm a I'm a Homer.
0: I think there's two things. Number one, he's a little more patient. I think the patience to me unlocks a lot because he can read the defenses at a, at a, at his own pace and it allows him to drive and it allows him to find the right spots pretty much every time. Sometimes I think Mitchell is like forcing shots just a little bit. Um, and I think his footwork, I think his footwork and his ability, like Mitchell has really good footwork and he has really good strength and explosiveness, but Booker's just got like a little more of like a craft that allows him to hit some of these tougher shots. I think a little bit more consistently. Yeah, so that's that that to me is the separator between those two guys. Absolutely. Um, OK, back to you. Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Mitchell Robinson. That's my pick from that Knicks series. I think he has been Nick, the Knicks most important player in that series. He is killing Jared Allen. He is feasting on the offensive glass pretty much every night. He is contesting shots. He is pretty much like the tone center for that Knicks team right now. Brunson's been awesome. You know, like RJ Barrett has had two really nice games, which is we didn't talk about, but like has really come alive in these two games at MSG, which is good for RJ Barrett, who did not play well in Cleveland. But Robinson has been there night in and night out. It's him and Hartenstein, but it's really I think him more than anyone else. He is he's sneaking behind Jared Allen for dunks. He is beating him to spots. The hustle is there. I mean, he's the backbone of what the Knicks have been in the first round. So to me, I, I'm that that is one of the series that has told us the most. So I'm going to go decisive.
1: I'm going to pick Mitchell Robinson. Yeah, you did go weird. You treated it like favorite performances. I tried to be like, okay, if if some if one of these guys heard about it, who's gonna punch me in the face the least, and who's just been the best? Like, did you, I knock? mean, Mitchell
0: Robinson sitting in the locker room, like making fun of the Cavs, saying like they're shivering when they see him. Like that guy wants some smoke, so you know what? Like he might knock me in the
1: face. I I okay. I so I had Brunson. I because I think that's more than reasonable because I I just. Again, to the point of the Knicks offense has actually not been all that great. Like, it's been good enough. It's been pretty solid at times. It's been a slog at other times. But regardless, Jalen Brunson has scored efficiently. He today had to adjust to needing to make more threes. And he had, I think that was like the sixth or seventh game. He had five or more threes. Mm -hmm. all season which is just not a natural state of being for him he really hasn't gotten to the free throw line like he normally does it's been kind of ugly he's had to make a lot of tough shots but I think the the kind of poise and just like relentlessness of it to me is is what sets him apart and obviously them being up 3-1 he's played four games some other guys haven't I get that but um, it's, 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 it's him to me as far as I, I, honestly, he's my only guy in the East. It was, it was hard mm. to pull from because nobody's playing all that great over there.
0: No, you're right. My last though, I only have one more pick cause I've, we both picked Booker. I have my other players from the West. I think the Brunson one is a good shot. He'll probably win out over Robinson in this discussion. Um, I think one of the th- I think one of the things about him that is so impressive is just how like his craft is just so high like he is unflappable kind of whatever you throw at him even if like he gets stalled out like he like he's just going to come back at you again and again and again and the footwork to find little solutions when a guy does play good defense um is his up and under fantastic. man when he
1: gets like he picks up he his dribble and you feel like there's three rim protectors around him and then he gets an over uh, an easy layup on the other side of the basket kind of like using the rim to avoid the block or fading away out of nowhere and you don't realize he had one more step but he does it's 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 sick he's really good
0: he uh also is like really good at like finding a good shot after he's like lost his dribble and he needs to he's got like a little superpower to like fake a guy enough where he can get it even if he doesn't make the shot like he's able to at least get it off and lay chalk locks like that guy is that guy is really, really good the dallas mavericks really messed up man they really messed they up I think about that every time I watch him play and I'm just like Dallas really just like didn't understand what was going on
1: here. They did, but and I think he, that they insulted yeah, him and yeah, there was maybe fair. no opportunity to negotiate. Well they realized at that point. they
0: realized they realized too late. He um yeah he's gonna be a real pain for he I cannot wait to watch assuming like these both these teams make it and I think they will, I cannot I cannot wait to watch Drew Holiday guard him for an entire series.
1: Yeah. That's gonna that's gonna fucking whip. Or Jimmy Butler, I guess. Gotta give the heat some respect, but
0: just Kyle Lowry just pull it like showing up at age 37, just getting up in Jalen
1: Brunson's a grill. You said you had one more,
0: yeah. It's Darren Fox. Yeah, I had Fox I mean, as well. Okay, like I he has to be like he has been awesome in that series. He's fourth in the, in the points, he's fourth in points uh, among all players in the playoffs so far in points per game. We mentioned earlier he's passed Oscar Robertson's record of the most points ever scored over four first four games of their playoff career by a Kings player. He like, has the same going,
1: amount of points as Steph Curry through four games. They're equal, twenty six.
0: The fact that he's doing that is insane. He's doing it on good, pretty good efficiency. Like yeah. there, There's nothing not to like about, I think, what Fox has done. And that, that is a Kings team that is going toe-to-toe with the defending champs. And he's been the, the focal point of that. He has to be on any list we're making here.
1: Absolutely. Like I said, the the series is kind of being played on his terms, which is remarkable to say against a team that has Steph and Draymond on it. Um, he's uh, he's first in field goal attempts per game. Brandon, do you know who's second in field goal attempts per game?
0: This is very funny Russ? to me. No, it's DeJounte Murray. <laughs> uh, it's Darren Fox, DeJounte Murray, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, and Kawhi Leonard. That's the top five. Russ is seventh. Curry is sixth. But DeJounte Murray is, is second. Trey is eighth.
1: Jante's is an interesting player. We might have to. We'll talk about would the you, Hawks at some point. Well,
0: well would you? Uh, this, I asked this to a, a Timberwolves friend of mine, fan, the other friend of mine the other day. Would you do a Towns for Murray
1: swap if you're either team? Not if I'm Atlanta. Okay, I think about it. You cannot build a team around the defensive of Young and and Cat. Okay, Trey, Trey, t- t- no. t- t- for Trey for Cat. I think Trey is more valuable. So in that case, sound it would have to be a lot on top yeah. of Towns. All right, we're just we're just trying stuff. Two fairly untradable players in terms of getting the value that <laughs> yes. the team trading them thinks yeah. that they're worth.
0: Particularly so in both if these we teams get there this gave- summer,
1: I think there's going to be some very upset front offices and uh, home hometown fans with whatever comes back if those trades happen. Yeah, I had one more Nikola Jokic. Yeah, I I think this is pretty reasonable. Like he's
0: been pretty freaking great. That team is going to sweep and. Denver has, or excuse me, Minnesota has literally no answers for what he is. Like, yeah. just nothing. Like, there's nothing. Like, Towns is in hell defending that guy. Gobert is in
1: hell defending that guy. There's no answer for what he is. So, Jokic is averaging, we're recording this before game four. He's averaging 20 points per game. He has, uh, Over 10 rebounds and I believe 9 assists Mm -hmm. per game. And he's shooting 57% from the field. That offense is scoring like 120 points a game. Um, Can't forget the Denver Nuggets. They're the only team not struggling at all. And that should mean something. So it's part of why I had him in there. Even though he hasn't had huge nights, he hasn't had to. So, all right. So we have Kawhi, Fox, Booker, Brunson, Robinson, Jokic. Yeah,
0: so my here, are my here, are the my four nominees: Kawhi, Booker, Mitchell Robinson, De'Aaron Fox. Yours are Booker, Jalen Brunson, De'Aaron Fox, and Nikola Jokic. I feel like a coward for not putting Jokic on there. I feel wrong to be honest with you. Like that's my that to me is is uh, not great. But so okay, Booker's a lock, right? Yeah,
1: we have to go with Booker and Fox. We both had them.
0: Yes, Booker and Fox. Okay, so I I think Jokic should be on there. I think we should reward the top seed. I think we should put him on there for what he's doing in that series. Not playing
1: with his meat, as Doc Rivers would yeah. say.
0: And then he like changed it to food. After like someone, he doesn't of the get the PR to take team it back.
1: Doesn't get the take. But it back. So,
0: but someone from the PR team was like, Doc, can you not talk about playing with your meat? Like we we we're our, our society is childish.
1: It is. All right. Yes. So Booker, Fox, Jokic. So it's down to Brunson, Robinson, or Kawhi. I feel like you got to knock Mitchell Robinson off. He doesn't. He doesn't belong <laughs> yeah. here, as, as good as he is. He is a standout role player. He does not belong upon, among the four best players in the entirety of the NBA playoffs. I, I'm,
0: but like, I just answered this in a different way, and I'm gonna you, you did, roast that, me for this. That's okay. I just have he's just been like kicking Jared Allen's ass for like an entire series, and it's like it's
1: we it's should do favorites at some point because I would have a very yeah. different list. Okay. And I'm happy yeah, to I do took, that. This list.
0: Is, I just I just go with vibes, Brendan. That's that's my energy sometimes. I just want positive vibes. Um I, I feel like if we're gonna do this, I feel like maybe we have to go Brunson over Kawhi. Kawhi was better minute per minute, but Brunson has played more games and his team is gonna win the series.
1: I want to have one of your picks on the list, though. <laughs> and if we pick if we pick Brunson, then the R4 is just my list. What? So let's but go I mean, with Kawhi. We... <laughs> All
0: right, Kawhi Leonard. Congratulations. He's probably cares about this as much as he cares about the, the championship in Toronto. Um, I like Kawhi. I just, the Kawhi thing just feels so emblematic to me in the first round. I thought he was the best player and it's like, ah, he's now hurt. It just feels like so emblematic of what that Clippers team is and what these playoffs have been with guys getting hurt. Yeah.
1: I don't have um, any good Kawhi thoughts. He's a robot killer assassin when he plays and... That doesn't happen enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's I I wanted seven games in that Suns Clippers series. I don't know if you could have taken it, it but I really wanted it.
1: No, because uh, they're having to play Booker and Durant like forty five minutes a night to win. So it's fine if you do that for five games and you get like a week off. It's not fine when if that goes seven. So yeah, hundred percent. Right. Bridges deserves a shout out here. I think, but well, should, last you, couple games just, he wasn't good enough.
0: Yeah. So let's just, we, we have our last topic of the day. We're just going to do like five minutes on the Nets. Um, so, Mark Stein has some news out on Sunday in his newsletter on Substack that like they're, like they're, they want to keep Cam Johnson. Bridges obviously is untouchable, but they're, they're you know, expect some offers on DFS and Royce O'Neal. Makes a lot of sense to me. I, I think like the nucleus of their team going forward to me is Claxton, Cam Johnson, and Bridges. And you're trying to find guards. That are not Spencer Dinwiddie and and there are other guys of that position. You're probably trying to f- like keep developing some wings. You know, we'll see what Cam Thomas ultimately turns into. Aside from just like a a, a pure bucket.
1: Um, why are you shaking your head at me? No coach has ever trusted him. I, I don't think he, <laughs> I don't think he's going to play defense enough at the NBA level to what to, is to like
0: is on. he? It's like him and like Bone Tyler are like the captains of just like the the all offense no defense
1: vibes. It's just funny because I felt like Jacques Vaughn would be kind of give him a shot, and he did. Obviously, he was going off when the team didn't have anybody when Durant and Kyrie trades had already happened and the guys weren't back Mm -hmm. in. But then he went right back to being a DNP. And I kind of take what the coaches are telling us with their rotation decisions with some of that. But anyway, I agree with you. I think I'm not saying cut him, but I just doesn't feel like he's going to get a shot. Because if he's not, if he didn't get continue to get a shot on this year's team, which was like below 500 down the stretch, I don't know when he will. Um, But yeah, I agree with you. Guard guard is number one, and then I think another big is number uh two. My question though is, is this the season? Is this the off season where you already start thinking about a star trade? Do they try to reset already again with being in the mix for a superstar if one becomes available? Or do they lie low? Nick Ferdell had a good piece about Sean Marks on the record basically saying we want to build a little bit more organically this time around. Mikael feels like a great centerpiece to do that, and it was all about how sturdy Mikhail Bridges is. Um, but Sean Marks doesn't get to pick. Joe side gets to pick. So what do you think? Do you think that they actually play things patiently or they get tantalized with their pool of assets to go get another star if one is there? I think Ben
0: Simmons has to factor in this because he has to be a contractor moving on from if you're going to go get a star. And I don't know how you're like,
1: I mean, not necessarily. Con- I think you could do Dinwiddie, Harris, Finney Smith, O'Neal. That's like 50 million dollars I just listed off.
0: Yeah, and then but then it's like you're like you're you're back to where you were which is like you gutted a lot of your useful depth for a star. And like they wanted you to accomplish it and then you're like then are we going to do this whole like okay, is ben, can ben Simmons contribute to winning basketball thing again? No, like he's I, not I, going I to. to. I don't even know if I don't he'll want play to. on
1: the team next year, but
0: exactly. I think the, that, that, that that that's that to me is weird as much as like I I think they should stay patient. I think that's the right way. The Simmons thing just hangs over this to me because like I just don't know what like that guy is
1: I mean, you do just know like a, what he is. He's not gonna play, he's not gonna be good. I mean, we just Yeah, like, but,
0: uh, but then where do you put him? What do
1: you do with him? Like there's all these like weird questions with that that I just it's just I think you ride the season hard. out, see what he can do, see if he can be healthy, and then if you can make it through next season, then you buy him out because he'll only have one year after that. That's kind of but that's like that's a moot point. There's no changing that. That can't affect how you build the rest of your roster. He's he's a he's a dead roster spot that's how you have to approach it is not you can't be like well if he's good or if if his money ends up being valuable or even on the other side well we don't want to spend too much because that puts our salary in a bad spot with Ben it's like no you just you can't maybe next summer when he does only have that final year maybe you don't have to buy him out maybe you can send out a first round pick to have another team take him on and you don't have to have the dead money but like you can't I just think you can't let that sit on top of you I think I agree with you though that I would I would hold tight but I like, do think let's, if you're able to trade those guys for something you still would sure. have Mikhail, Cam and Claxton If you can, it, it might not be a superstar but if you could get something for those salaries and some picks maybe you upgrade a little bit but it's not Damian Lillard it's I don't know whatever I'm not going to do the whole game right the, that, now but that, that's, that's where I think that's they the, could go
0: that's the thing it's like it's Dame worth it for this team I don't really totally think so. Is K- would like a Kawhi risk be worth it for this team? I would guess no. I think they have probably had enough of superstars. That they're not sure what they're going to play for various reasons. Um, yeah. Kawhi obviously being different than Kyrie, but it's like I don't know if you want to walk down that road again if you're if you're the Nets brass. I think be patient. I think you give Jock Vaughn just like as normal of as you possibly can. And then you, you see what you even if you don't trade them in the summer, can't you hold on to O'Neill? Do you hold on to DFS? And like, what can you get for them at the deadline? Because those are guys at premium spots who are good players who teams would give up real stuff for. Like, I could, yeah, bet your bottom dollar Cleveland would be like, would you like Jetty Osmond in some seconds for one of these guys or a first run pick on draft night? Like, would that, like, mm-hmm you're going to get offers like that because these are those are guys that could reinforce the best teams in the league or teams that want to get among the best teams in the league. Um, and even if you wanted to keep them and just be like plucky, six seed, I don't even think that's like, that's fine. Do what you want to yeah, do. You have a lot really of assets the, already.
1: That's really the decision, I think, more so than like star or not star because a lot of that's situational. Does that star want to come? You don't really have the crown jewel asset unless you just give up one of those future firsts, which may be valuable but usually teams want at least one player back and if they're not going to trade mikhail Claxon's yeah. not quite good enough for that and neither is cam johnson so you don't really have the the huge haul and this year you only have phoenix's pick and your own so you don't really have anything that great they're both in the 20s they actually finished with the same exact record which is a funny detail and they did the coin flip and i think the nets have the better pick but they get both um that's not really great either so It's probably more, are you fine being pretty bad next year or do you keep treading water? They don't have their own picks, so there's not a lot of incentive to be bad. But if you trade enough of your good players away and get something for them, you keep McHale and some of those other guys, you're probably only like a 500 team at best. Is that okay, or do they want to be better than that? Is Josiah putting pressure to be better than that? I don't know.
0: I think also give Mikhail Bridges time to breathe. Let him get a full season, not an abbreviated half season, where he's brought into an organization. Like give him a training camp and a summer and a full season to be the option that we saw him be. Give him reps at that and kind do you of think learn he more can about what be the way best he Player on a
1: championship team. I would tend to
0: think no, but could he be the second best guy? I think he could get there. I think he absolutely could get there. And I, but I think he's. I think it would benefit him to spread his wings a little bit more, as we saw him do but just let him do it more and more and more. I don't think that would be a bad thing for Mikkel Bridges to spend next season in a normal environment, no trade speculation, a team kind of building itself, and get a chance to to breathe and get a chance to kind of experiment and play around with stuff and, and learn how to be that lead guy and get the reps yeah. at being that kind of scorer. And like get on his Chris Middleton path, right? Like That's kind of what I would imagine for Mikkel. Oh, he's already path.
1: better than Mikkel. He's already okay, better than but, Chris Middleton. But I,
0: but I mean that role. I mean like number two guy off of like a super... Star, so when the Nets do go make a trade, if they're the team that is like, How about a bajillion picks for Luka Doncic? Hmm. Like yeah. that, and then it's like, Oh, I can, I know how to do this. Kill playing with how Luka to be.
1: would make me uh, do <laughs> Sorry, bad I things to myself. So, I, I
0: did, I that. did mean to give you like some real like sons, like PTSD.
1: Like also, don't PTSD. make him play with Luka, that's that's crime. Um. Okay, yeah, no, like, I, hear okay, I hear you. I hear Who, you. Um,
0: Who would be the most perfect superstar for him to play with, Giannis? Like well, Giannis I think it's
1: similar to what he, what we're talking about. That this team needs. I think regardless of how good or bad they want to be next year, as long as they're keeping Mikhail there, they need a a more traditional playmaker to play alongside of him. Spencer Dinwiddie is. I'm gonna you know bounce it between my legs three times and take a pull up three. He's very good at that, but that's about the extent of what he wants to do offensively. Drive to the basket here and there. He's not gonna set other guys up. He's not really gonna initiate like formal offense in the normal way a point guard does. So I think you need that regardless of of whatever you do. And I think that's the type of player that I would like to see Mikhail play next to long term is some sort of lead creator. That he can attack the second side with, he can come off screens for, he can maybe even set screens and, and be a, you know, kind of mismatch creator with all that stuff. I think that's kind of the the best course of action for him. Maybe not Giannis, but a guard. I mean, everybody, everybody and, can play with Giannis, yeah, but like yeah. picture perfect, you know, it's it's somebody like, I don't know, like Ja. Sure. Uh looking that's
0: maybe why the Grizzlies wanted to give Hit the Potomac pick. Looking at the market, it feels like the, the point guard market, it feels like that might be something you get via trade. It's like, okay, Kyrie's a free agent. Not going to do that again, obviously. Dilo's free agent. That's not what I would want. Like, do you want to be the team that gives Fred Van Vliet a big contract at 30? I thought about I that. Know.
1: I don't think it's the worst, but he's not really a traditional point guard either. He likes to play with other playmakers, so maybe that works. But I don't know if I'd be. They also don't have cap space, so it would right. be weird so to make this it is,
0: work. Yeah, yeah. So then it's like you're getting into like Bev and Schroeder and Gabe Vincent and Javon Car. Like you're not getting like a, the point guard you're looking for.
1: You know who would fit really well as a playmaker on this team? Who uh, Ben Simmons. Should have seen that one
0: coming, and like you, you know, you just, I just forgot. Walked you right into it. You just I think that's a good note clear. to end on. Personally, how about just, a? Well, they don't have the cap space, but Austin Reeves. Just, just get all the yeah, internet's favorite players. A,
1: I think you just need a like James an Harden? advantage creating point guard. James like, Harden. Yeah, James Harden. Um, Run it back. There's just not a lot of guys like that. Is really the the weird thing about the, pro- the league yeah. right now. Um, How much money Joe? Joe Conley Conley might be fine. Conley might be like a free for a year.
0: Yeah, Yeah, for a year. Yeah, sure. I'd be and then hold your assets for like that player if it becomes available. Yeah, I could Mm -hmm. see that. I could see that, or just like you know, I don't even have a good joke. I'm just like looking at the guards. I'm just like, man, this free agency class is not going to be. There's just
1: not a lot of point guards in the league that are good. It's it's really that, like that a, are good that are good
0: in the way that there's it's a, a good in the way we are talking about
1: yeah good yeah. in the way that you have a lot of shooters around you have a, a good co playmaker in McHale and you just need somebody to kind of be there for those guys um could and, and Tyus, make could everybody
0: they get Tyus, could they get Tyus Jones as like a clone like that would be like a good like he like just yeah. table literally just I think Monte table.
1: Morris is a is a free agent like he that's another stopgap. not good in dc no he not wasn't he hasn't been you know he's he's overmatched being a starter but again if they're going the route of like take a season to just kind of keep getting better sure the young guys you know that could be an option but yeah it's it's going to be interesting they need that type of player i think maybe they look a little less traditional maybe it's like kyle anderson type of like a, a forward playmaker trey lyles is available and you just kind of try to bring as many of those guys in and share the ball and, and keep it egalitarian and keep McHale on the ball. And maybe he gets hits a ceiling on that. But if you're just try to acquire picks and assets and that's what next year is about, it's not terrible. I just, I think to maximize everybody on your roster, it'd be best to have a player like that.
0: Yeah. All right, let's end there. I'm Chris Manning. That's Brennan clean. Please subscribe, rate and review in your podcast platform of choice. Subscribe on YouTube. If you haven't already, follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and all these other places. And uh, thanks again to Jake Stevenson, and Dylan Heiser for producing. We'll be back later this week with more playoff breakdowns. Maybe the Cavs will be gone by then. Maybe the Suns will have advanced. Maybe we'll we'll learn more about, I don't know, some other teams. Maybe there'll be more scuttlebutt about who's going where. Maybe we'll get a coaching hire. You never know. Nick Nurse or Eme Udoka could be head coaches by the time we record next. But I'm Chris. That's Brennan. Peace out, everyone. Enjoy the hoops.